Welcome to Divine Intimacy Radio, a co-production of EWTN Radio and SpiritualDirection.com, where we provide you with a spiritual haven of rest and explore the riches of the wisdom of the saints and the path to union with God. This is Dan and Stephanie Burke. Welcome to Divine Intimacy Radio, your radio haven of rest. Your hermitage of the heart. Your monastery of the mind where we lift our hearts and minds to heaven to draw upon the wisdom of the saints to help us to navigate this very challenging life that we all live. And today we have a return guest on part two of visions and revelations and how to discern them. You want to introduce Okay, so we have Father Matthew McDonald with us. He is a priest of the Archdiocese of New York. He has written articles for Catholic World Report, Crisis Magazine, and SpiritualDirection.com on various topics dealing with theology, spirituality, and current events affecting the church and the world. His greatest loves are our Lord, Our Lady, the priesthood, and the church. He seeks to help people grow in love of our Lord through helping people to live out the teachings of the church, on prayer and the spiritual life. And I can attest that all of these are true in our guest, Father Matthew McDonald. Welcome back. Thank you, Dan and Stephanie. It's an honor and blessing to be with you again. Awesome. So we covered some of the foundational stuff at the beginning of the pre or during the previous show. What I want to do, Father, is just continue to walk through, I think, you know, just logically laid out questions regarding visions and revelations and how we understand them. Um, one thing that was a surprise to me in studying this uh, is there is a, a different effect, if you will. I don't know if the right word, I mean, there's precise theological language, but there's a different effect that uh, uh, in terms of faith that is garnered by, um, by divine revelation and private revelation. Can you illumine what those are and why that's important to understand? Okay. Some of this goes into, again, the, the, the faith owed to public revelation, divine revelation, which is owed divine faith, and then private revelation, which is rooted in human faith. And the church's understanding of this comes from Pope Benedict XIV, um, he wrote this 21-volume work in Latin called De Savorum Dei. And you have that all memorized, right? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> okay. A good friend of mine who's over in Rome did his doctoral dissertation on part of it. Um, and it's still used by the church in her discernment of causes of canonization. So Pope Benedict XIV, when he was Prospero Cardinal Lambertini, wrote about this distinction. And he says, an ascent of Catholic faith is not due to private revelations approved in this way. It's not even possible. These private revelations seek rather an ascent of human faith in keeping with the requirements of prudence, which puts them before us as probable and credible to piety. So this means that there is a difference between the theological virtue of faith and human faith. An individual can believe in alleged private revelations on human faith, but he or she does not give the assent of divine or Catholic faith, which is given only to divine revelation. So again, divine revelation, public revelation, belief in that is required for our salvation. 
to get into heaven, to become the saints that God made us to be. Private revelation is not, does not have the same act of faith. It, we give it human faith insofar as it helps us in that divine ascent of faith, but that human faith is rooted in prudence and right reason. So it's it's a it's a result of reason, which if I could use a different word than faith, would would it fall short to use the word assent or believe, a belief based on you know evidence or experience? You could definitely use those terms in the context of a human assent or belief that this is probable. And this is this is where I this teaching is where I take my general disposition toward private uh, revelation. And that is that what I always tell people, and especially in times when people are chasing down all of, you know, all of the, uh, the, the goofy stuff and, and some of the legitimate stuff is the church teaches, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but the church teaches that you do, there is nothing of private revelation that is necessary for your salvation. There's not a single thing revealed in private revelation that's necessary for your salvation. Is that is that overstated? No, I think that's dead on correct. So that what that means is, and this should give people peace, is you don't need it for you to get to heaven. You don't need it. It's not required. It's not necessary. But it is helpful, which is the difference between the ascent of uh, prudence versus uh, divine faith. It's helpful as it to the degree that it points you to the uh, the deposit of faith that we have clearly defined in the magisterium and the catechism and all of these you know uh, teachings that we have in, in encyclicals and things like that. So to the degree that it points you to them, they can help you, but they're not necessary. Is that clear enough? Absolutely. I would also add one more thing to that. And this is, and to distinguish private relations that have received full church approval versus private revelations from mystics that have not received church approval. So when private relations receive church approval, you do not have to believe them for your salvation as stated, but at the same time, when the church gives it a certain level of credence, whether it's the bishop giving local approval, and we'll talk about that more, or a papal visit, or putting it on the liturgical calendar of the church, like the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima, Our Lady of Lords, Divine Mercy Sunday, you'd be foolish to ignore it. Um, so they're not required for salvation to believe in them, but if you can believe in them, but you would be foolish to ignore them when the church gives it a certain level of credence. Would you say that Fatima in particular is of the highest order of that category? Yes. Fatima, Lourdes, Guadalupe, um, Divine Mercy, Sacred Heart to St. Margaret Mary. Again, you don't need to believe in any of that, any of it to get into heaven to become a saint. But because the church popes have visited these places and have encouraged the devotion, it's something that you should strongly consider 
Now, Pope Benedict Sixteenth in Verbum Domini, again, reiterates this point where he says, such a message as an alleged private revelation can be a genuine help in understanding the gospel and living it better in a particular moment in time. Therefore, it should not be disregarded. It is a help which is offered to us by God through the church, but one what which one is not obligated to use. Yeah, I think that's really important to to stress that it should not be disregarded, right? If if Holy Mother Church says this is good for you, we believe in it and they and they give it such uh, prominence, it doesn't hurt us. It actually leads to our faith, you know, faith and and to our sanctification. I have seen the power of the Divine Mercy Chaplet and all the promises that are connected to it happen over and over and over again. It's a beautiful devotion, and I watch people's lives completely changed and saved because of it. So we, it does us good to lean into those things. I think where we get in tr- trouble is when it becomes a distraction away from our own uh, journey with the Lord and uh, away from our own personal time of prayer and sanctification of using the regular means of the church, going to regular confession, all those things that we need to do. If we're not doing those things and we're chasing, you know, revelations all over the place, then we have to understand that we need to take care of our of our house first and that these should aid us in our devotion um, to our Lord. Does that Does that ring true, Father? Absolutely. And I would say this, we don't want to fall into, you know, a skepticism not rooted in faith that tends towards atheism, but we don't want to fall into a attitude where it's, you must believe in this. This is the future. You better not oppose this. We're doing this devotion. We're, we're in God's favor. And that leads towards a pseudo mysticism a Gnosticism, and a sectarian spirit. And that's an example, and we'll definitely talk about this later on, of bad fruits. And even though you may be getting good feelings from it, or you may like it, if you're falling into that mindset with other people, that's a sign that it's a disordered devotion, and there may be some demonic influence in your life going on towards that devotion. Yeah, so very important. Well, let's let's move into this question. How does the church respond to claims of private revelation? We mentioned this in a prior show. Um, so what is so something happens in in some area of the world, and there's some sort of something going on, and it, it's going viral because that's what happens nowadays. It goes viral. Um, how does the church respond to this? What what does he what do they do? So usually the church exercises great caution with respect to claims of private revelations as she follows the apostolic mandate to test the spirits as stated in the first letter of John chapter four, verses one through two. It's also commonly said that the church moves slowly in these matters. So the, the process, so the church moves slowly. Um, and I think part of the reason for the slowness and the caution is that often what needs to be revealed, good or bad, happens over time. It's the same reason that uh, canonization processes are are typically um, very, very slow. 
So there's a, a specific set of steps, a three-tiered structure uh, that private revelation claims can go through. They don't always have to go through all three. But why don't you walk us through those and, and how that works? Okay. So these, these steps come from a document that was issued privately to the world's bishops in 1978 by the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith called Norms Regarding the Matter of Proceeding in the Discernment of Presumed Apparitions or Revelations. These norms were publicly promulgated by Cardinal William Leveda on the Feast of St. John of the Cross, December 14, 2011. Um, just because they were being disseminated privately and they were commonly well-known and also because of a genuine pastoral need. So, so Father, why don't we stop there just because we are heading into a break. When we get back, uh, we'll, we'll continue and lay those uh, phases of evaluation out. Okay. Hi, friends. We want to personally invite you to check out all of our upcoming retreats here at Avila. Head over to spiritualdirection.com forward slash events or click on the events tab on the top of spiritualdirection.com and sign up now for one of our powerful mini retreats, setting the captives free or into the deep or divine intimacy and marriage. Now with both live and online options, our mini retreats can be live streamed right into your living room or parish meeting room. Discover why these events sell out time and time again. That's spiritualdirection.com forward slash events. Register today. There is a growing need for well-formed, solid spiritual directors in the church today. The Avila Institute, in collaboration with Heart of Christ Spiritual Direction Program, offers a certificate in spiritual direction for those who feel called to accompany others in their journey towards God. The program is grounded in Ignatian and Carmelite spirituality based on a Catholic worldview and draws on the wisdom of the saints with an emphasis on biblical principles and the new evangelization. This program offers both online and on-site classes. Discover more and apply today at avala-institute.org. This is Tam and Stephanie Burke. Welcome back to Divine Intimacy Radio. We're talking with Father Matthew McDonald about a very good book published by Sophia Institute Press visions and revelations. We're talking about the book, the general topic. The book is excellent, uh, written by Father Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene, who was once the rector of the great Theresianum in Rome. And we're talking now about how does the church, before the break we left off, is what is the process or the structure regarding the evaluation of private revelation? All right. So also this document from the CDF, can be found as an added appendix to the book of visions and revelations in the back. So there's three, a three-tiered structure. The first structure concerns the competent ecclesiastical authority. So the evaluation of a private revelation always starts and stops with the local bishop, yeah. the local ordinary. Then if it becomes more of a national situation, the, con the conference of bishops or the synod of the Eastern Church can get involved, but it's always deferential to the local bishop. The CDF and the Pope can get involved. Now, if the CDF and the Pope get involved, if they make a ruling outside the local bishop, the local bishop has to obey that. And that's what happened with Our Lady of All Nations. The, the CDF issued an investigation in the 70s and said it was definitely not supernatural. Then the local bishop in early 2000s went against that investigation and the CDF within the past year and a half, we had 30 years and 
it was a sensitive situation. Maybe the way you could question the prudence said, no, the bishop was wrong, faithful or not to adhere to this apparition. So an example of local bishop making the total and complete decision that's accepted by all, would Bayside fall into that? Yes. Category, yeah. Also, Holy Love Ministries on the, the side of condemnation. Now, in the United States, Bishop Ricken in Green Bay, Wisconsin, approved the apparition of Our Lady of Good Hope that happened in the 1800s. And right now, that is the only apparition of Our Lady to receive full church approval in the United States. Right, right. An, an example of where there's dispute, like where you have, you mentioned one, the local ordinary says one thing, and in this case, up to the Pope and, and the CDF or the Vatican, uh, where there's there's some conflict going back and forth is Medjugorje, right? Medjugorje, yes. So that that is a little bit more of a grayer um, situation. Yeah, and I think uh, we, we're not going to resolve uh, or even cast doubt on Medjugorje or argue for it. We're all open, you know, but because the revelations continue, it, it can't be fully adjudicated. The local ordinary has not been, um, uh, has not been positively disposed toward it, toward it, but the, the, uh, the CDF and the, the Vatican is, is, not necessarily said yeah you're right it's not it's not a, a it hasn't gone along uh, fully with that declaration of the local bishops is that accurate you think yes yes and no it's 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 complicated it's great yeah it that's what makes Medjugorje so difficult is you can read one book that'll point out all of the the uh, arguments for it and all the documents and all the history in another book by another competent scholar who does the opposite right um, so the bottom line is we we wait for the church and and uh, I, I from what I understand there was a time when it wasn't you couldn't even there was a document from the CDF in the United States that didn't even allow a priest to take pilgrimages there openly or promote it openly in the U.S. or something like that. But that that seems to have been that faded. Is that do you know anything about that? It was reversed, was it not? So. The Vatican, the overseer of Medjugorje, I think, issued new directives. But at the time that document was issued by Archbishop Vigano when he was the papal nuncio to the United States regarding Medjugorje. That's the one that said, don't go? or Yes. Yeah. But more recently, there, that seems to have been uh, that restriction. I mean, at least nobody's adhering to it anyway. Yes. Yeah. Okay. In terms of the of the process. I think that's a good enough summary, unless you think there's other uh, aspects, or do you want to talk about the criteria of, of how those judgments are made? I think, I think maybe going to the criteria would be helpful. Okay. Do you want to start with negative or positive? So negative criteria. Okay. So here are some things. This would be red flags that a particular apparition would have. So manifest error concerning the fact is one, or a clear error cannot be present in claims to private relations, such as relaying the sequence of events or giving false testimony. So before you jump forward though, manifest error regarding the fact, what does that mean? Yeah, speak that. for the lay people, Father. Yeah. So, 
<laughs> so manifest error regarding the fact could be just a general distortion of the nature of the event that happened. Mm -hmm. Not just the sequence, but just the event. Okay. Falsification of that. So then a clear error can't be present in the claims to private revelation. That's easier to to understand, which is just it, it when they say a clear error, it's either a, is it a factual historical error or doctrinal error? I mean, doctrinal is, is the highest order of concern. Mm -hmm. So a manifest error would be like you have a statue that's weeping actual tears or tears of blood, but actually it's not weeping at all. It, there's a broken pipe behind the statue that's dripping on the statue and it seems right. to be weeping. Yeah. Right. But a in terms of the a clear error outside of a manifest error, a clear error would be related to um, lies that are discovered or uh, doctrinal or, or uh, doctrinal issues. Is that right? Well, doctrinal issues would be separate. So, so the the, the there's the nature of the event itself. So that's the manifest error concerning the fact. Then there's the sequence of events, which the clear error regards, you know, focuses in on. Then the doctrinal errors is the actual substance of the message. Right, right. And the substance of the message is very difficult, right? Because there's the message itself and john of the cross of course talked about this a lot in ascent to mount carmel there's the message itself received by the person and then there's the interpretation that either they or uh, or observers would put on the message that's where things get can get pretty muddy muddy doesn't it isn't that right yes yes and normally in the investigation process and the norms go into this there's two rulings. So one is on the message itself. Is it in accord with the church's teaching on faith and morals? So that's the first thing that's ruled. So that's initial approval. Then there is the final approval of devotion, which deals with the supernatural character. The supernatural character and the, but why is it, um, let, let's just jump into John really quick. Why was John uh, of St. John of the Cross so concerned with the the message and how and and the issue of our humanity in understanding, interpreting, relaying? Because often when we receive a vision, he uses the language in the Ascent of Mount Carmel, we focus in on the surface or the rind, he says. So when we hear of a private revelation or we receive something in prayer, we immediately focus in on what do I understand it to mean? And John the Cross said, that's not the first question you should look at. The first question should be, if I'm receiving something, how is it calling me to a deeper union with God through faith, hope, and love? How is it calling me to a deep, deeper union with God? So, on the negative side, the next key element is the morality of the messengers themselves. Is that right? Yes. So in terms of the morality of the messengers, 
is so that that if there's an investigation, that means the church is looking into the lives of the the of the supposed visionary or whatever, and making an assessment on the vision based on what their how holy they are. Do they levitate? What? How does that all work? So, again, they'll look at the psychological well-being of the person. They'll look at, is the person honest? They'll look at, has the person committed any gravely immoral acts at the time of the alleged apparition, uh, revelation, or their occasion? Is there a connection between the alleged visionary, the alleged phenomenon, and the way devotion, the devotion that originated in the claims is practice? Or is the alleged visionary showing psychic disorders or psychopathic tendencies that clearly influence the alleged supernatural events such as schizophrenia or severe depression? So an example of this I call to mind is the woman, uh, she was a Franciscan, I think, of perpetual adoration that uh, St. John of the Cross investigated. And apparently, I don't remember the, all the details, but if I remember right, maybe she was levitating. She only uh, existed by uh, consuming the Eucharist, that sort of thing. And people thought she was very holy. So the, I guess the local ordinary dispatched St. John to investigate. And his conclusion was that she was possessed. Does it, does, do you remember that case? Yes. Yes. So just because somebody seems pious and holy doesn't mean they're actually pious or holy. They could be right. fully possessed. And there are other criterion within the theological tradition that church, uh, the church that can be used in evaluating, but these are just general norms. But we could get into some of those other things, and those are mentioned by Gabriel Lagrange and Antonio, Antonio Royal Marine, and also um, Father Gabriel as well. Okay, well, I think in terms of this show, we the next thing to jump into is is positive criteria. So we talked about the negative. But in terms of the show, I, we don't have enough time to, to con conclude that. Do you have the ability to uh, schedule another show with us to just keep rolling down this topic? Absolutely. Great. So, folks, if you're not a subscriber to spiritualdirection.com, head out there and you'll find the first show on, on this topic and the second show. And then we'll see how many more we have. There's a lot to cover on this topic, and it's important for our time. But head out to spiritualdirection.com. Make sure you're a subscriber. Don't forget to check out the events page for our Divine Intimacy and Marriage retreats, other retreats for our pilgrimages. And until next time, which is Stephanie's line, which I don't want to steal. May the God of peace make you perfect in holiness. May he preserve you whole and entire, spirit, soul, and body, irreproachable at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. learn more about the interior life, visit spiritualdirection.com. Divine Intimacy Radio is a co-production of EWTN Radio and spiritualdirection.com and heard worldwide on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.